Well, hello, and welcome to Watering Seeds, a podcast conversation that reviews and reapplies the preached word to our own minds and hearts and to those of our listeners. This is a podcast of our church, Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, on this podcast, we discuss uh, sermons and seek to reapply them to our heart. And so we're going to discuss the most recent sermon, which was last Sunday from Ephesians 1, verses 15 and 19. The title of the sermon was a prayerful response. Uh, you can find that recording uh, on our website if you want to listen to it, covenantreformed.net. My name is Sean McCann. I'm here with Chris Brown. We both pastor at Covenant Reformed. Uh, we're both involved in getting back to church this past Sunday and preaching. Well, not both of us preaching, but <laughs> leading, this, leading the service and uh, me preaching this sermon twice. Chris had to hear it twice, so you can commiserate with him later. Got to. <laughs> Got to. Got, it was awesome. Got to hear it twice. You doing all right today, Chris? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Sean? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it was good to finally preach to people. Yes. Not a microphone. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. It gets some, um, at least a little bit of response uh, as folks heard uh, the word. Um, we transitioned from the first part of Ephesians where we just camped out for about five weeks in this opening uh, lengthy sentence. Uh, Paul transitions in our text that we're going to consider this afternoon uh, to another lengthy sentence on uh, his prayer. And really it's a turn uh, from uh, praising and blessing God in verse 2 to 14 uh, to uh, Paul recounting how he prays for the church in Ephesus and particularly what he prays for. Uh, so we're dividing the sentence into two parts. The first part of that sentence uh, is focused on uh, thanksgiving and Paul's intercession. We're going to see this coming Sunday, uh, the last four verses that really unpack the final request, which is what the, the church would know, power. Uh, so in the, the, the sermon, the, the idea behind the text, I think, is the life-shaping, structuring, transforming, orienting power of praying like this. Uh, that is, we uh, have our prayer lives shaped uh, by the priorities and emphases of Scripture. Uh, it ends up shaping not only the moments of prayer, but uh, much of our Christian life altogether. So what does the passage teach us uh, about prayer? Sort of one point to, to start with, but then also how does the passage feed off of everything that God's done for us in Christ uh, that we've seen before? How do we live in response uh, to our great salvation. And so it very that's a kind of a practical question for us. Uh, and I think this is helpful. Uh, so before I jump into the points, uh, was that clear, that kind of opening turn in focus of the first chapter? Did you have any thoughts or questions on that? Oh, yeah, that was very clear that his kind of meditation on the wonders of who God is and his, his saving work, all of that, is behind his prayers and is the content of his prayers and leads him to be thankful in his prayers. I thought that was, was right on. Yeah, I saw that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, good. Uh, all right, so the, the prayer reflects on the blessings that are ours in Christ in sort of two ways. Uh, number one is we give thanks for the, these blessings, and number two is we get help to know the blessings. Mm. Second point is maybe a little bit harder to understand. First one's pretty straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> we give thanks. 
uh, for uh, everything. Uh, I quoted Psalm 118, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. I mean, the cross references for the idea of giving thanks go throughout Scripture. Psalms, and then, of course, a lot of Paul's letters uh, and many other places. Um, there's a, there's a, 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 kind of a, an added weight to this when Paul says in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks. Uh, that there's a continual function of this, or a continual repetition, I guess, of this thanksgiving uh, that comes from Paul. Um, I think the the first question I have for you, and if we're getting ahead of ourselves, you can back up, but sure. it's sort of the transition, uh, and that is identified, we have a sin problem, and that we don't, we're not very good at giving thanks. Yeah. We don't give thanks. I mentioned a few reasons. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that for your own personal life, or just knowing the Christian experience, right? What are some common reasons that Christians aren't thankful or maybe just don't feel very thankful? Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess this is just, my, I, I had a question. It is backing it up a little bit, but it's just what is Thanksgiving in general? Uh, and this is related to it. It's, we were made, we were created to be thankful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in a state of um, creatureliness that, mm-hmm. We should just be utterly grateful God created us to exist. Um, and then beyond that, after we rebelled, that he would be willing to, to save us out of love. It should just lead to gratitude and the um, spirit of thankfulness. Uh, so, I, I mean, the number of reasons why a person wouldn't be thankful are, like, innumerable. Mm-hmm. And you asked me the exact question I was asking, which is, <laughs> I was going to ask you, which was, what keeps us from being thankful? Um yeah, you talked about sin. Uh, you had a, a list of a couple different uh, sins that particularly undercut yeah, thankfulness. And, and I'm trying to find it in my notes. Here. I got it here. It's uh, I, I mentioned ungratitude, which is not thankfulness. Uh, Selfishness. Wanting something else. Greedy. That's There we go. I found it. Discontent. You're wanting more yeah. or you're discontent. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it all comes down to... There's pride and envy are sort of the two, uh, the two views of like the core sins that people have in life is uh, Satan was envious and he was proud and that's why he did what he did and it was this the same temptation that we're given is pride I deserve something else I'm better than what God says mm-hmm. I'm something other than what God says and I'm envious I I want a different type of life I want a different type of you know, X, Y, Z, wherever, whatever circumstance you're in, um, it's not good enough for me. And that's the common sinful temptation for everyone. And you mentioned there might be, there might be other circumstances. Like, I think there's some, I mean, if you've gone through something horrible, it's hard to be thankful. I mean, Job had a hard time being Mm -hmm. thankful. Mm -hmm. His children were all killed. Mm -hmm. His Livestock were all destroyed. His property was taken away from him, and his wife told him to curse God and die. I mean, what kind of Thanksgiving can he have then? So, there's um, he still had it though. Mm-hmm. He said, "The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord." So there was still some level of gratitude for the Lord's supervision of his life mm-hmm. and arrangement of everything, mm-hmm. but. The struggle you see through the book of Job is with, in part, thankfulness, mm-hmm. um, and his questioning whether God's plan was really good. 
whether God is really wise enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's at the core struggling with unbelief, mm-hmm. struggling with pride, and struggling with envy mm-hmm. that I think undercut mm-hmm. all thankfulness and mm-hmm. contentedness yeah. in Christ Jesus and all that he is for us, mm-hmm. which is what you spelled out. So yeah. Yeah. Kind of just kind of repeating you, but... Yeah, and um, that's good. I mean, Job had a better reason to be ungrateful mm-hmm. than probably we do, but in the, as a creature, as you say, created by God, and knowing the redemption that's in Christ, mm-hmm. we always have a reason to be grateful. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there may be people listening that have very significant problems and because of that struggle to have really any level of gratefulness Hmm. to the Lord. Uh, And then there's also just, yeah, the general sin problems that you mentioned. Uh, And I think discontent, for me, maybe the one that hits closest to home is, I mean, it's a form of greed and envy, Mm. uh, but discontent uh, with what I have or my problems are harder and more unique, right, than other people or whatever it is. Um, The negative effect of all that is that it leads to a Christian life that is devoid of the very Thanksgiving that should characterize it. Mm. And that's a kind of a bad, dangerous, uh, spiritual place to be. Mm. So Paul is giving thanks, and he is also, by way of application, modeling thanks for us. So it's a prayer that models for us uh, the way to pray. I mean, a few years ago on Wednesday night, we took a break from the Psalms and our Wednesday night devotions. We went through the prayers of Paul, hmm. and they all—they are all—they are all laced with thanksgiving, and it's this model for us. Uh, so Paul, in particular, gives thanks for—he uh, says in verse 15, "For this reason." Well, the reason is everything that's happened. Uh, in Christ, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, verse 3, in Christ, for this reason. And then he sort of uh, summarizes it as faith in Christ uh, and love towards the saints. Uh, So kind of two pragmatic reasons, right? Or not pragmatic, practical reasons. He's heard uh, the report of the church in Ephesus that believes in Jesus and loves one another. That spurs in him uh, a reason to be thankful and as I said in the sermon, that's because both of those things are things that the Spirit must produce in us, mm. faith and love towards the saints. Uh, I do want to sort of ask, I don't know, there's not a right or wrong answer to this, but why, I mean, why have all the things Paul could focus on, I mean, why might it be highlighted, especially love towards the saints? Yeah. Um, you know, there's, usually when we think of love in the Christian context, we think of love of neighbor, mm. which Jesus talks about, and obviously is mm. good and true, but a lot of the the Pauline letters and even First John, we've been preaching through, focuses more on a love towards the saints. I don't know. You any thought on that about why he might highlight that? The love of the of the saints as a particular fruit. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially in Ephesians, it's it's because you've got these different ethnic groups that uh, they all believe in the same good news. Under the old covenant, you had to be brought in. You got to get circumcised mm-hmm. to be brought in. Now you don't have to be circumcised. Mm-hmm. Now you're baptized and brought in, and um, it's people from every tongue and tribe and, and nation. And as they gather together, they are reconciled mm-hmm. to one another mm-hmm. uh, through Jesus Christ. It's a definite reconciliation. Mm-hmm. But in practice, uh, there can be conflict, 
And so his delight is that there's evident love, that mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit's powerfully at work among these people with different skin colors, different customs, uh, different upbringings, and they're all demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I think that's his, mm-hmm. his primary reason mm-hmm. for, for that. Is to, it shows what Jesus has truly, objectively mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, he focuses, he focuses on that more uh, later on, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, but he kind of hints at it here. And I think it's, it's sort of instructive to us that we do have a hard time loving people that are different than us. <laughs> And that even in the church, we're, even though we're redeemed, we're still somewhat unlovable. Mm-hmm. And so we need the Spirit to produce that uh, within us. Do um, you have any other thoughts on that it's kind of second part of that, that main point? Yeah, I had, I had a question related to it, um, which is, it kind of gets to your application here. But um, So thankfulness is a difficult task, especially in the light of the people we're supposed to be thankful for the people we're near, um, but also our sinful nature. Uh, what promotes thankfulness in us when mm-hmm. we're having a hard time mm-hmm. being thankful? Yeah, yeah you know, I, I thought about that a little bit. Um, you know, there's, I think part of it is that, you know, thankfulness, it's more than just an attitude. It's an right. action, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, you hear the phrase, you know, the attitude of gratitude, mm-hmm. you know, around Thanksgiving season, mm-hmm. the holiday, we're supposed to, you know, count our blessings and be so thankful. Um, but that's just sort of a, a kind of a moralism. Mm-hmm. Just be more of this. Mm-hmm. And what hope is there? You know, mm-hmm. be more thankful. Well, okay, I'll try. But like, um, and there are some actions, I think, that can lead to a more thankful heart. Uh, but I think ultimately we... The reason Thanksgiving, in a general sense, fails is because there's no object of our Thanksgiving. We're not thanking anyone. Mm. And so in the Christian uh, faith, uh, we have uh, God our Father to primarily be giving thanks Mm. for all of these blessings. And so I think that's one place to remember. It's not just wake up in the morning, look at the mirror and say, I'm going to be more grateful today. Like self-mantras, talking to yourself. Exactly. It's not that, Mm -mm. right? It's... um, so I think, and I said this somewhat in the sermon, is there's, I think we need to return over and over again to our guilt uh, and the grace that is ours in Christ. Um, and gr- gratitude, we don't just pull out of thin air. And it, you know, sometimes churches are accused of talking too much about sin and guilt. And if they don't talk about Christ and the grace of the cross, then yes, they're doing that right. too much. Right. Uh, but we can't, be a grateful people if we have nothing to be grateful for. That's right. And if we ignore uh, the uh, the mire of sin and guilt and shame and despair where we once were, then there's no grace to save us from, and then there's no reason to be thankful. To add to that, I think if you if you can't say along with Paul, if you haven't gotten a sense of your sinfulness, along with him in Romans, where he says, "Oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death?" He's this is the sanctified Christian saying this. Mm-hmm. The pollution of original sin that remains is so uh, annoying and upsetting to the Christian uh, that uh, as they think on it, they turn to God. Who will deliver me? Mm-hmm. And then they say, thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have the victory. So it's exactly what mm-hmm. you're saying. It's, mm-hmm. We need to think on both. Mm-hmm. And 
um, I mean, that's preaching the whole counsel of God, mm-hmm. which is what's advised to mm-hmm. ministers and mm-hmm. preachers. Is mm-hmm. Sometimes the text demands you preach on yeah. mostly on sin, right? So, and then present the Savior. Sometimes it presents mostly on the Savior, and yeah. what yeah. the sin is about, but both yeah. are necessary. Yeah, you know, I think yeah, Christian worship leads us on that path. Um, and, you know, one of my favorite parts of the worship service is the pronouncing of the assurance of pardon after the confession. Mm. And, and you know, our liturgy leads us through the guilt, grace, and gratitude. I mean, it starts with glory or God or whatever in adoration, and then yeah. it leads us to guilt as we confess our sin together, which leads us to gratitude. And that's the, that outline I said in the sermon is from the Heidelberg Catechism. Mm. And it's a wonderful outline for us as we conceptualize the Christian life. And as those who know our guilt and experience grace, our good works, our love, our service, uh, are all expressions of gratitude. Um, they're not motivated by guilt. Uh, they're motivated uh, by grace. So that was number one, I think, is mm-hmm. I just see in my notes, it says, think often of guilt and grace. Um, and number two, I think we sort of need to be like on the lookout for fruit. Um, you know, we don't know exactly what's going on in the church of Ephesus. Commentators speculate that it was actually pretty good compared to the other places because Paul doesn't lay into them at the beginning. And the letter is, is sort of bland in that regard. But we know there's problems in every church. Mm-hmm. And the it sometimes we need to retune ourselves to look for the fruit of the gospel in our lives and in our neighbors' lives, and our—I'm sorry—our church members, our, mm-hmm. our brother and sisters' lives. And I think of, you know, a particular application as a parent, as you can get really discouraged about your kids, mm-hmm. how they're acting, what they're doing, um, and sometimes we we need to take a different approach with our children and look for the fruit God's bearing in their lives, and even for Christians who are deeply struggling over sin and sort of despondent and looking for and that's kind of a joy of being a pastor is to point out where the spirits at work in people's lives like your sadness right now is actually a sign that you are loved by god and you you yearn for holiness and godliness and just encouraging i I had some illustration that i left out because it wasn't any good but it was about being like a fruit inspector right our job is to be looking for fruit as opposed to sometimes we're just like experts at finding the weeds in our own lives and in other people's lives. That's natural. Right. We see, we see the weeds and we're like, oh, there they are. How horrible. Yeah. yeah. They're really annoying. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, this TV show that we like to watch, HTTV. It's called Love It or List It. Yeah. And there's this, there's a, they always have a couple and they're going to fix up their house. At the same time, they're going to look at buying a new house. At the end of the episode, they're going to decide which one they want to do. Mm. And they always pit husband and wife against each other. One wants to move and one wants to stay. Mm. And so when they look at new houses, the one that wants to move loves it and the one that wants to stay hates it. <laughs> and it's too complicated of an illustration, but I think for us to to be the, the people who are on the lookout, we know the Spirit is at work. We know the Gospel's powerful. So let's look for evidences of it at work. Mm. Uh, and extend grace upon grace uh, to one another. Wasn't that the Barnabas? Barnabas was named the encourager. Mm-hmm. It was he's pointing out, I see these gifts and graces in you. How great is that? And that's 
we all we all love Barnabas. <laughs> we do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you should. Yeah, you're blessed to have Barnabases in your life. Yeah, yeah, and if we could be that to other to be people. Him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I knew a pastor once that he had what he called his Barnabas council, mm-hmm. and he sort of picked out some men and women in the church who were especially encouraging to him, mm-hmm. and he made a point of having lunch with them once a quarter or something like that to as a stopgap towards discouragement that he right. tended towards. And that's not like. It's not the same thing as like whitewashing things or uh, what is the term where you're just getting yes men. Yes men. It's yeah. not the same thing. It's genuine spiritual insight that mm-hmm. we're encouraging each other about uh, that undercuts discontentments mm-hmm. and divisiveness among the body of Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, we took a long time on thankfulness. Um, let's hit the second, our second point. Uh, get help to know Christ's blessings. Mm. It's one of those very wordy sentences, and so it, it helps to sort of clear a little bit of a way to the main idea, which I think is at the end, the last few words of verse 17, which says the knowledge of Him. Uh, and that is uh, that we have every blessing we already need or could ever want in Christ. Now we need the Spirit's help to understand and know those blessings better. Hmm. So we have them, but now we need to uh, know them. Um, we need to know God and the ways he has blessed us uh, through Christ. Um, the means of that is by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit enlightens our the eyes of our heart. Uh, the Holy Spirit is one of wisdom and revelation. Another word is illumination, right? He illumines the eyes of our heart. Uh, I sort of tried to make the distinction between the initial knowledge and then a deepening knowledge of Christ uh, throughout the Christian life. But not a higher knowledge. Definitely not a higher knowledge. Some people. I tried to You're couch clear. that. Yes, good. So what? how does this work? And I think I asked you last week how the Holy Spirit works. So I'll just ask <laughs> you again. How, how, how does the Holy Spirit reveal, illumine, enlighten us in the knowledge of God? Yeah, well, obviously it's in conjunction with the Word of God, mm-hmm. that there's no extra-biblical secret knowledge that you just get implanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, God could do that. Mm-hmm. He might do that mm-hmm. to some special people, but we have no knowledge of that. Mm-hmm. What we see in Scripture is that God regularly takes the preaching of the Gospel, the preaching of the whole Scriptures, the, the good news of Jesus in Scripture, and he uses that to convert people and to edify and grow them. So uh, the, the Holy Spirit, I, I think the term knowledge itself is very important here. He, it doesn't skip knowledge, mm-hmm. sort of like the seeker movement or the emergent church movement or even liberalism almost ignores knowledge and goes straight for like a kind of emotional mm-hmm. experience um, Instead, the biblical view is that the Spirit works on someone's mind uh, to understand something about God intellectually and that it also grips the heart Mm -hmm. and the will Mm -hmm. uh, through the mind. So uh, that's sort of my analysis of the way the Holy Spirit works supernaturally to to help someone understand, change their mind and heart. Yeah, Um, Yeah, that's good. Yeah, careful. Obviously, it's not a higher knowledge. No. But it's very much that, you know, Christians should just 
love simple gospel preaching. I mean, sometimes I get worried when people critique a preacher as being shallow. And I get it. I know what some people mean by that. But also, I think some preachers sort of advance from the gospel and they just assume it. And it's not mentioned for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we should rejoice to hear it in all of its glory and beauty and all of its angles. Uh, you know, I think about this kind of knowledge as kind of you get to know kind of an expert in a field of something. You know, mm-hmm. think about like a wine taster. You know, I drink wine occasionally. I don't even, I don't know a single difference. I know it's red or white, right? <laughs> but to sit with a wine connoisseur who could explore at the delicate taste of a rich wine and explain it uh, and enjoy it. They could tell uh, you what area of the country it's right, from. Right, right, yeah. It's because they've experienced it and they know it now. They, yeah. They understand it. And they, it, yeah, and so to have that, that knowledge of Christ, it's not a higher knowledge and it's not like taking extra classes so we know the intricacies of some kind of random doctrine, right? It's, but it's knowing the glory of the gospel more and more. I mean, it's the, it's the, you know, it's playing on the surface of the water and then plunging its depths to Mm. see its beauty. And I I mean, I've just been blessed by that last couple of years by reading uh, and listening to lectures, speaking and preaching and talking with friends just about that and and nothing else, right? Mm. Not majoring on minor doctrines, but just returning over and over again to uh, the the glory and the beauty of our union with Christ and all that it means for us, uh, and wanting to hear that over and over again. I had a question related to this, which is, so what he says we need is knowledge, the knowledge of all the things we've already been told in verses 1 through mm-hmm. what, 11, which is incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. But what are some things people think we need instead of knowing God and knowing all that he is for us? What are some alternatives people think we need? Yeah. We need this this instead. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, sometimes sort of believing and doing are contrasted with each other. Mm-hmm. So sort of a kind of a form of Christian activism. And I don't say that in a pejorative sense, but just, okay, we're done thinking about God. Now go do something. About We've got it. all the details down. Yeah. Now we just go do stuff. Yeah, and we use that means to sort of you have the basics down. Mm-hmm. And usually that means you don't actually yes, yeah. <laughs> um, to to kind of carry more about that to carry more about that. Mm-hmm. I think um, there's this sense of like Jesus has gotten me into heaven. That's a long way off. Now what does he do for me today, mm-hmm. right? And so it's very uh, practical blessings. And so when we recite thanks reasons for thanksgiving it's like well he provided for me financially and he healed my friend and Mm -hmm. he opened this door for new employment all things that a sovereign god does out of his Mm -hmm. kindness towards us Mm -hmm. because we are united to christ Mm -hmm. but those those things just pale in comparison and i think we elevate the the secondary things without dwelling in uh, the richness you know when when we're struggling Right? We don't sit down and say, well, I'm struggling here, but at least I still have my health. At least I still have my 401k. Mm. No, it's at least I am held fast by, by God in Christ. And man, when we struggle, when I struggle uh, as a pastor, as a dad, as a friend, then it, that's what we return to. And that, I mean, that was the first sermon in Ephesians was about our identity and who we are. And this, it comes out to play here. I mean, um, 
I don't even forget the question. Am I answering your question? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and related to this is I've, I've been thinking on, um, I've been trying to memorize uh, some of Second Peter. In the, the verse, at the beginning of it, um, verse 2 and 3, he talks about the knowledge of God. In verse 3 he says, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory mm-hmm. and excellence. So this is Paul and Peter in conjunction saying it's the knowing, knowing something about God. Uh, that God's done the work, but he enables us to know him that powerfully changes us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess my closing question is, what is it about the details of knowing God, uh, the things we kind of studied at the end, mm-hmm. the hope to which he's called mm-hmm. us, the, the, that we are his heritage, and his power. What is it about knowing that that reshapes us or reorients us? Yeah, I mean, in, in one sense, it reorients our problems, right? I mean, mm-hmm. our, our it, we can struggle with hopelessness. We can struggle with feeling unwanted and unloved. And so when there's these things that Paul is reassuring us, it almost makes us wonder if we have incorrectly self-diagnosed mm. about what our deeper struggles are. You know mm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, we, whether we know it or not, the Word is telling us that we need to know that we are God's treasured inheritance. Right? And we, there's a whole host of pro. I mean, we, you know, you talk about kids that aren't, that grow up, you know, not knowing of their parents' love and not being sure of that and what problems does that lead to in life. That's very real for the Christian, too, um, or in, in a religious sense. Um, the hope, you know, how does it transform us to live in the daily reality of uh, the hope to which he has called us, right? Mm-hmm. How does that actually trickle down to our daily lives? So... I, it's uh, I mean, it's almost a ritual, liturgical habit to be praying and worshiping along these lines that Paul has given us, right? That the Word gives us, and so that our lives are not consumed with health and safety mm. and finances, right? I mean, you, uh, or whatever it is that um, so consumes our worries and our concerns. And those are not, again, those aren't wrong things to pray for, but they're not the primary things we're to be praying about and for. Mm. Uh, So I I do, and I come back to this regularly, sort of, this does put boots on the ground as to how we pray, and therefore what we prioritize, uh, what our focus is on in our daily lives. Mm. Um, So, yeah, and that's one way in which I think there's this reorienting hmm. effect of praying like this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we're out of time. So um, we're gonna the next Sunday we're transitioning uh, still in this same vein. So we'll hit on some of these same themes as we explore uh, specifically the third heading here about the power. Uh, God's power at work in us, the same power that was work uh, powerfully in Christ. So, all right, that brings this uh, episode of the podcast to a close. 
So thanks for listening to Watering Seeds. We hope you have found our conversation helpful as you seek to live out your faith this week. Uh, Join us next week as we discuss the sermon on chapter 1, verses 20 uh, to 23. Uh, You can hear that on our website. We'd love any questions. You can send those to the church office at covenantforum.net, and we'll try to get to them. Until then, grace be with you all.